Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to Franchises and Filmogs Season 3. This message will explode in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This episode will contain spoilers for Brad Bird's 2011 film Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. It will also contain explicit language, but it's, it's not my fault, guys. It's Tom Cruise's fault. I was going to leave this episode completely clean, but we had to talk about that Tom Cruise rant. Welcome to a new episode of Franchises and Filmogs. If you're new here, we talk about franchises and filmographies. That's what we do. My name is Zach, and I'm, I'm the host of the show. Today, we're talking about the fourth film in the Mission Impossible franchise, it is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, and this film was released in 2007. It is Brad Bird's live-action debut film, but before we get started on the film, some news happened this week, and I just want to read a quote, a fairly good-sized quote from one of my newfound heroes, and that is Tom Cruise. So here we go. They're back there in Hollywood making movies right now because of us, because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every fucking studio at night, insurance companies, producers, and they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you motherfuckers. I don't ever want to see it again, ever. Do it again. You're fucking gone. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people who are losing their fucking homes because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table or pay for their college education. That's what I sleep with every night, the future of this fucking industry. So I'm sorry. I'm beyond your apologies. I have told you, and now I want it, and if you don't do it, you're out. You are not shutting this fucking movie down. Is it understood? Am I clear? Do you understand what I want? Do you understand the responsibility that you have? Because I will deal with your reason, and if you can't be reasonable, and I can't deal with your logic, you're fired. That's it. That is it. I trust you guys to be here. This news was released a couple days ago when Tom Cruise went off on a couple of crew members that are working on Mission Impossible 7, so I think there is no better time for me to release this franchise series um, of podcasts. So that's exciting. I was quite excited. And Tom Cruise, you're right. You are a newfound hero of mine for going off on that crew, for not following COVID-19 guidelines. This is a serious thing. Mission Impossible 7 is a very big uh, display for how the movie industry might work from now on. They were one of the first films, I believe, to restart, and they're a real showing of how film can go forward from here. It is a complete display to the film industry on how to follow these guidelines and how they can continue filming when there's a pandemic going on. So good for good for Tom Cruise. But today we're going to talk about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Once again, this is Brad Bird's live-action debut Best known probably for The Incredibles, but now he's pretty well known for Mission Impossible, so that's that's cool. 
Uh, I'll start off with a couple facts here. Tom Cruise scaled the Burj Khalifa or the Armani Hotel in Dubai, which I believe is still the tallest building in the world. I could be wrong, but it at least used to be the tallest building in the world. So he scaled that for this film, showing how absolutely nuts he is. But again, a hero. We, we are learning more and more that Tom Cruise is a hero. Uh, but, but he's also nuts. He does his own stunts, and he's insane. Another fact, Dermot Mulroney, who is in a lot of other films. I actually don't think he's in any of the Mission Impossible films. I could be wrong, but he played cello in the scoring orchestra for this film, uh, which is the orchestra that plays the soundtrack uh, that is inserted into the film. And I did not know that Dermot Mulroney is apparently a professional cellist. So that's pretty cool. This was also the first film in the series to be released in IMAX. IMAX way back when, I guess in 2011, was huge. Um, I have seen the big screen IMAX, which I think is the way to go. Like there's in Seattle, we have at the Pacific Science Center, there's a big screen IMAX. And then they have these little dinky IMAXs in like the AMCs that are so-so. Still pretty cool. I'm a big fan of like the Dolby ones in AMC now. Uh, there's these Dolby theaters that the the chairs will vibrate when the noise is really loud. It's just how they're built, I guess. It's not like an inserted um, vibration system. It's just how the chairs are built. They react to the noise. So that's pretty cool. And that's a big screen. Uh, but the IMAX in AMCs are so-so. I think if you want to see IMAX, you got to go big and go to like a designated IMAX theater. I don't know what you call those. I guess maybe they're just owned by IMAX, but I know like the Pacific Science Center is one, for example. Mission Impossible 4, I think, is pretty good. I think it's a little overrated, to be honest. I haven't seen it in a very long time. And after rewatching it, right after watching Mission Impossible 3, I think Mission Impossible 3 is a better movie, but Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol is also a really good movie, and it's definitely a step up for the franchise uh, from 1 and 2. So we'll talk about it. I think that there's a couple of plot issues uh, that we're going to talk about as well. But the main plot of this film is Tom Cruise and the IMF, the, I believe, Impos Impossible Missions Force, maybe. Uh, they get framed for blowing up the Kremlin. And this whole time, people are trying to steal the nuclear launch codes for Russian nukes so that they can start war. And there's this guy named Cobalt, uh, who we learn his real name later on in the film. And it is not Cobalt, but he goes by codename Cobalt. And he is trying to start this war by stealing the launch codes and launching a nuke. Tom Cruise and company save the day. And all is good in the end. There's a very, very close call, probably the closest call I've seen so far in a Mission Impossible film where a nuclear bomb almost hits San Francisco or a nuclear missile almost hits San Francisco and blows up the whole city. But it's averted. And I think no one is hurt, I guess. I think a lot of people probably died at the Kremlin, which was pretty insane. They just blow up the Kremlin in like the first half of the film. But that was uh, pretty insane, I think. Probably a lot of people died in that explosion, but they don't really dwell on that too much. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much the plot of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. We're going to take a quick break here and then we'll talk about some things.
So I think my favorite part of this film is really the settings. And there are a lot of them. They travel between, I wrote them down, and I think there were five settings total uh, by city. So we'll, we'll go through those. They start off in Budapest with these beautiful buildings, and the architecture is great. And we get this rooftop view of all these buildings. There's like dome-shaped buildings, and it looks very cool. And we go to this train station where there's a big crowd hanging around. It's not something you see with COVID times, but it's pretty cool to see. And it's really well done. There's a lot of blue tint lighting. Uh, and then we go to a prison. We shift to a prison scene in Moscow. And Tom Cruise is in prison. He has to escape and help one of his friends out to escape as well. And there's a pretty long intro to this film. We go from Budapest to Moscow, and we haven't even hit the opening credits yet. But there's this great prison scene where they're just fighting all the way out of this prison. It's kind of like in The Raid or even in like Snowpiercer, which we talked about in the last season, uh, where it's a very linear fight as they're getting out of this prison. And we see down all these hallways through all these jail cells. It's really cool. I'm a big fan of the open of this film. And then we get the Fuse intro, which seems to be something that is sticking around throughout the franchise. I think it was probably best done in the third movie so far but in this film they're leaving the prison tom cruise lights the fuse or he yells light the fuse and someone lights it and then it travels through the prison and this is our opening credits and we get that theme song michael giacchino did the theme song and it is very fun very fun time very cool opening and then from there we go straight to the kremlin and in the kremlin there's this big explosion and first of all, Ethan Hunt and uh, I think it's Simon Pegg goes with him. They have to go through the Kremlin to try and find out what's going on and try to steal the nuclear codes before someone else gets them, I think. Uh, but then there's this massive explosion. And I think everyone in the Kremlin probably dies. It's pretty insane. I am curious to see what Brad Bird would have to say about the death count in this film because they don't stop all these deaths. And right after the Kremlin, we find out that they're going to go into Ghost Protocol. And during Ghost Protocol, or when we, when we find this out, the secretary that tells Tom Cruise and I think one other person in the car gets shot and they die. So there's like total chaos for about 20 minutes of this film of just explosions and all that. Then we go to Dubai, where we witness a sandstorm. The color is totally changed now. It's got these very orangey, deserty colors going on throughout the film. Um, and he's scaling this giant building, the Burj Khalifa or the Armani Hotel. And it's really cool. Tom Cruise does a very nice job with the stunts here. The filming is great. You see up the building. It makes you really feel like you're in Dubai and I mean, I've never been to Dubai, so I, I guess I can't really say that, but I felt like I was in a desert full of sand with a sandstorm going on, scaling this building. I think that this is a scene that you would want to see in IMAX on the big screen. It's a lot of fun. It made me a little nauseous because I'm not a big Heights fan, to be honest, but in film, I like watching it and I think it is art to have Tom Cruise scale this building, but it is worrisome to me. And I, I do fear for his life. And I guess we'll see what happens when he wants to film in space. Uh, Cause that's insane. But then we travel to 
one of the final destinations, which is Mumbai. And in Mumbai, they are trying to convince this guy at a party to help them get the nuke codes and everything goes to hell. And then we end up in this carport and some cars go flying around and it's a bunch of action. And then we go to the end. And I was reading that there's the nuke that gets launched in San Francisco. And then I think they end up in Seattle, which surprised me because it, I thought that they would end up in San Francisco because I thought Bing Rames or Luther's character is there to clean up the mess of the nuke that fell into the ocean. Uh, but I could be wrong. So I need to look into that more. I think that Wikipedia might be wrong, which is where I saw that they were in Seattle because I don't think they're in Seattle. But they travel back to the U.S. Uh, from Mumbai. So a lot of different locations, a lot of different landscapes. And Brad Bird does a great job of showing us these landscapes. Uh, they bring back the spy tech, of course. Got a lot of spy tech in this film. You've got this floor hole crater device uh, that Tom Cruise uses in the prison cell. That's pretty cool. I don't know how it works at all. They don't really explain a lot of the spy tech in this film. It seemed like they were trying to explain face masks more in the last film, but from here, they're not really expanding on that subject. Uh, but the floor hole crater thing is cool. It looks like it just burns a hole through the ground and then you can drop through. Uh, but it also kind of creates this weird earthquake, so it's pretty noticeable. There's a poison ring prick. Uh, this guy is walking in the train station with a ring on and he poisons another person by just like touching his hand. And the guy looks for a second and before he can notice what's going on, I guess he's poisoned and knocked out. So that's a pretty cool device. I feel like that is definitely something that we would see in modern times uh, with what spies are using, uh, which is scary. It's very scary that someone could have poison and just walk up to you, prick your finger, and then you're poisoned. But that sort of stuff can definitely happen. There's also this balloon camera. There's a red balloon that's flying in the air, and they attach a camera to it, which to me does not seem like the most effective. I think that it's very noticeable to have a balloon that's also a camera that's like just hovering at a certain height, but I guess it works. There's a cool image screen that they use at the Kremlin that just mirrors like a hallway and it works pretty well. I think there's definitely improvements to it because once other people come, it no longer mirrors the hallway. It starts to glitch and just like starts to focus on other people, which is pretty convenient for the villains in this film. Uh, but it's a cool idea. There's a train retinal scanner for Tom Cruise and, Simon Pegg to escape at one point. So that's cool. They just have to like scan their retinals, I guess. And then the train door opens up. I'm a fan of that one. And then Tom Cruise, of course, has these sticky gloves that he uses to scale the Burj Khalifa, the biggest building uh, that is maybe in existence right now. Still need to research that and see if another building overtook that achievement. But it works really well. I think that Tom Cruise probably used a lot more um, ropes to actually scale this building. I don't think he just used these weird technology suction cup gloves that also fail on him at times. Uh, but it's a cool concept. It's definitely a cool concept to have 
these gloves that you activate and just stick to buildings. We're going to take another break now, and then we'll finish up this episode. I also wanted to talk about the soundtrack for this film because I think that they do a good job. Michael Giacchino, who scored this film, did a great job with a lot of the orchestral themes. Um, There's a theme toward the beginning when they're at the Kremlin and in Moscow that has these Russian chants. It kind of reminded me of Hunt for Red October, which has a really cool opening scene uh, with a really nice soundtrack to it. And this this felt very reminiscent of that. So I don't know if they got some inspiration from that, but it, it works really well. Also in Dubai, they have these cool orchestral themes that really help with the landscape. I do think that they changed the themes uh, orchestrally based on the location, which is a nice input because it, it feels like we're traveling to a different place uh, just because they insert maybe one type of instrument into the soundtrack or they change that Mission Impossible theme just a little bit. They tweak it just a little bit. There's a lot of the Mission Impossible theme throughout this film, but none of it feels repetitive. And it's a very short theme. Like there's not much to it. I'm not saying that's poorly written. It's just not a very big theme. And it's hard to make that consistently run throughout a a two hour film. I think this film is slightly over two hours. Uh, but they do it well in this film. Nothing feels repetitive, and the the theme is fun. The the whole orchestral parts are fun. Dermot Mulroney does a great job on cello. I'm I'm sure I can't really place exactly his instrument sounds throughout the the film, but he he's great on cello. I'm sure. Like he's not standing out. That's for sure. So that's good. Um, I think that there are a couple of complaints I do have about this film. Now, a lot of people think this might be the best Mission Impossible film. I disagree. I think that it is high up there. It's in the top half, but I think it's lower top half. Um, I think that Rogue Nation and Fallout are better than this from what I remember. We're about to find out in the next two episodes. Uh, Coming next week, we'll have the finale of this series of this season uh, with Rogue Nation and then followed that by Fallout. But I think that this film is not as good as the third film either. I had a lot more fun watching the J.J. Abrams film and I found that a lot of the time my attention was not engaged as much with this film as it was with Mission Impossible 3. I think that Mission Impossible 3 had a lot more action and at this point with Mission Impossible, I'm looking for three main things. A really good soundtrack. This film had that. I'm looking for some really cool stunts. This film had that. And I'm looking for some really good villains. This film's villain is pretty boring. I think that the plot of this film overall, the overall story and the overall mission, kind of boring. It's pretty bland. There's some guy trying to start a nuclear war. We've heard this before. We've seen it before. And it would be a lot cooler if the villain was more engaging. But this villain is not on screen that much. He's on screen very short amounts of time throughout the film. There's another villain throughout the film played by, uh, I think it's Leah Sado. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but she is in the film. And I think that she 
should have been the main villain at this point. Uh, because the main villain is just, he's boring. He's a boring old white guy uh, that just wants to blow up part of America and start a war. I don't really get his logic that much either, but there's nothing cool about him. Like in James Bond films and in a lot of other films, we have either a villain with a cool accent that makes him sound more scary, or we've got uh, some weird backstory that makes him the villain. In this film, he's just the villain to be the villain. Like, there's no real backstory whatsoever, which is why I'm excited for Rogue Nation and Fallout, because from what I remember, the villain in Rogue Nation and in Fallout is the same. Uh, I think there's some plot stuff that happens that changes that, but it seems like they really kept the linear storytelling for the next two films, which is not something we get until the next two films. Like I would have loved to have more Philip Seymour Hoffman throughout this franchise, but that can't happen. That didn't happen. So we're stuck with this new villain who's just pretty bland. I think that Brad Bird does a great job directing it. And I think that the rest of the cast is fine. It just doesn't feel like there's anything too special about the cast. Also, where the hell is Ving Rhames throughout this film? Like, Ving Rhames, we get him at the very end, and he's one of my favorite parts of Mission Impossible. I'm a huge Pulp Fiction fan, so that might be why I want to see more Ving Rhames. But where the hell is he in this film? I don't know if he was filming something else, and he was like, I can't commit to filming Mission Impossible this time around, but he's just gone. Also, we get a very shitty background for Michelle Monaghan's character who disappears basically. Um, she is, I think in the very end scene of this film, I think Tom Cruise glances over toward a boat and she is on it, but that's about it. Like there's no words. She's not even credited uh, for that appearance. So I think that this film could have used more of her, especially because Mission Impossible 3 built this really cool, like linear story that could have, continued on it could have continued on there could have been a little more love issues between tom cruise and michelle monaghan's characters but we don't get that they just seem to kind of throw that out in terms of original storytelling this is fine it's fine for brad bird he does fine it's a really good first live action film for him and a very good debut there's just a few things that i wish we had more of, and I wish would have made this film a little bit better. Uh, but that's that's all I have to say about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I would definitely check it out if you have not seen it. I recommend it. I give it a three and a half out of five, which is the same score that I gave Mission Impossible 3. But this film is just ever so slightly not as fun as that film. That film, I gave it a high score because it was a lot of fun and I was engaged the whole time. This film, I felt myself kind of being like, uh, it's kind of boring. I'm a little bored like halfway through the film. But it's good. It's good. Three and a half out of five. Definitely check it out. On next week's uh, Tuesday podcast, we'll talk about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which from what I remember was my favorite Mission Impossible film, even after Fallout came out. Uh, and it took me about three or four rewatches to think that Fallout is now my favorite Mission Impossible film. So there's there might be some contention between those two. We'll see which one's better and why I liked Rogue Nation so much. 
and whether Fallout is still better than Rogue Nation, or if I want to go back and say Rogue Nation is better than Fallout. We'll see. Anyways, thanks for listening. I'll be back next Tuesday. Have a good rest of your weekend.